Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. Today is a huge sale day for Walmart, Target, and other retailers, as this is another phase that has started today of great, great deals for the Christmas shopping season is, if you've not heard me say this before, Christmas shopping deals are extra early this year. Walmart had a doorbuster earlier today that I assume is sold out at most stores. 55-inch 4K TV for $148, lowest price I ever have heard of on that. There are other deals today on TVs at a variety of retailers. 70-inch TV. $449. I mean, that's ridiculous. And uh, robot vacuum cleaner, $99. I've got a rundown for you of what various retailers are doing and what is up to the moment for today at Clark Deals. So I remember something that uh, was an inflection point, an inflection moment in the United States. And it was in 1978, which may predate how long you've been on this earth listening yourself, but in 1978, the citizens of the state of California had a tax revolt. And they put in place something that's very familiar to Californians, not to other people elsewhere in the country, where they voted in Proposition 13. It was an extremely tight limit on how much property taxes could go up. The idea was once you bought your home and you lived in it, and if you stayed in it a long time, you didn't have to worry that you'd eventually be priced out of your home as values in a neighborhood might rise or values overall would rise. And then in turn, taxes would go up. A tight collar was voted in by the citizens of California that kept you, once you were in a home, from suffering from a tax bill that would really disrupt your wallet and your life. And it's been, with some people, controversial, but overall it's been extremely, extremely popular. There have been people who've tried to overturn it over the years, over the last 40 years, the latest was a repeal light that would have only affected commercial properties. And it was known as Proposition 15. And in the polling early this year, it looked like the public's going to say, yeah, let's get more tax revenue from big business. So let's raise their taxes. But then over the months, people really started to rethink that. And what was known as Proposition 15 now has failed. And 
the idea of saying, well, residential taxpayers, you'll keep your really good deal, but others will suffer the higher taxes. People were like, nah. And so didn't happen. And so we, in this change that started two generations ago, we become very reluctant as Americans to give a green light to tax increases except certain kinds. Taxpayers around the United States have been very um, positive towards targeted, limited-term taxes. Um, they go by different names around the country, but they'll be for something very specific, like road improvements or uh, building new public facilities or repairing facilities that need repairing. And they'll be a tax that automatically sunsets after a very limited period of time. And in cases like that where people clearly see a, a hole in the support of tax dollars for a function they support, people have been willing to do that. But what people have not been willing to do in large numbers around the United States is to allow taxes to just rise unfettered. And there's a natural tendency in a modern society to have people turn as, as communities and states, and in our situation, states, but in countries around the world, as people urbanize, there's been a tendency for people to want to default more functions to government. It's why in many societies around the world, including our own, that when you talk to uh, people in rural areas, they want government to just go get lost, and people in urban areas tend to be more supportive of government function because they see it right there where when you're in a rural area, government feels much more remote and maybe in a person's mind maybe more a problem than something that can actually fix something. So this is a clear indication when California that is a, uh, looked at as a very liberal state that the citizens voted against allowing taxes to rise on businesses and commercial properties. It is a signal that this is part of the American culture, is to hold a tight rein on taxation. The big challenge we face, and it's something that I've addressed with you, is what do we do at the federal level about somewhere close to 80% of federal spending that is transfer payments, Social Security, Medicare, that sort of thing, where we don't have enough money coming in to specifically fund those programs and preserve the benefits. People really like those benefits from Social Security and Medicare. How are we going to deal with that? How are we going to make sure we have enough revenue taxes coming in to see that you have the benefits that have been promised to you. And that's something that, regardless of your political persuasion or party or whatever, we must address. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at clark.com slash ask. 
Producers Kim and Joel take turns. And Kim, what you got? All right, this is from Tom in Rhode Island. Tom says the age to take an RMD from an IRA has changed from 70.5 to 72. And he wants to know if it's a good idea to wait until 72. If you don't need the money that would come from a distribution from retirement accounts, then wait till 72. It's considered to be a big benefit for people as they age that you're not forced to take money out of retirement accounts before you need it and pay the tax on it. RMD, Required Minimum Distribution, is a tool that the Congress came up with to generate taxes from senior citizens. And so money you have in pre-tax accounts, you must, pre-tax retirement accounts, you must start the distributions based on an IRS table well, based on how old you are, how long you're expected to live, and then how much of the money you have must be withdrawn in a year. So every year you have to withdraw a greater percent because your lifespan has now shortened. So when you start taking RMDs with virtually, uh, there's almost no exceptions to this. There could be a rare individual who has a situation that would be an exception. But the later you can wait to pull money out of pre-tax accounts, the better and the 72 gives you an additional advantage. Joel? Clark Andy in Washington says, I'm 26 years old and I'm considering buying a house in the next year or two. I've been watching my credit score and I think that I should work towards increasing it. I'm currently around 750. I have no debt, no loans, and keep my credit utilization really low. I have only one credit card though, so my question is, should I open up another credit card to try and raise my score? Absolutely. So 750, you're already in a good position. The best loan rates, though, tend to go to people that are, depending on the lender's criteria, 760 and above or 780 and above. So if you only have a single credit card, that puts you in some danger. If that one issuer, that one card decides they don't want you anymore, you're wiped out. I want you to have at least two cards from two different issuers. The initial hit for that hard inquiry on your credit will be um, a little bit of a hit, but not anything significant. And then almost immediately you benefit from having another line of credit, more available credit. If you really want to boost your score, you want to keep your utilization of cards below 10% as you approach a time period that you're applying for a mortgage. The good news for you is credit card companies, the banks, were not seeking anybody for credit cards now they're very actively seeking people in fact there is a um, reward war underway right now with some american express cards capital one cards chase cards trying to get people to sign up and give them huge bonuses right now because they're looking for customers again so your timing is good to get another card kim Jonathan in Georgia says, I live in an apartment complex and I've been paying approximately $200 a month for my water and sewage bill. It's only 700 square feet. It's a one bedroom apartment and I live by myself. These water bills are up dramatically with no real answer from property management. The only thing we hear from the manager is that residents must be taking really long showers. As a former property manager myself, I can't begin to tell you how laughable this is. 
I've lived here for over three years and I've never had water bills that were half as much as I'm being charged now. I feel helpless and I don't know how to get the answers I need or how to get this corrected. So this has been a source of abuse in some states around the country where landlords unable to push up rents bill people extraordinary amounts for water. The landlord using a private third-party water service is able to charge tenants whatever they want and they take a big chunk of that as simply additional markup. When a landlord chooses to do this, it's effectively a backdoor way to significant rent increases. So the answer, unfortunately, when a landlord starts abusing tenants with extraordinarily high water prices, is when your lease is up, as much as you might not want to, you gotta move. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Alan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Alan, in your family, you have been the one who's been raising the kids, and that's created a special financial challenge for both of you. Tell me what the scoop is and how I might be able to serve you. Sure. Hi, Clark. Uh, I've been a stay-at-home dad for about 18 years now. My wife has a 401k through her job for the last 10 years. Didn't have one before that. She was an independent contractor. Um, but we haven't really been able to save for retirement in a lot of other ways with uh, two kids, a mortgage on an old house, and student loans. Uh, we're both in our mid-40s. Um, I can probably return to full-time work um, in two and a half, three years. And I'm wondering what we can do to kind of boost our retirement savings um, since we started a little bit late and we're running a little bit behind. Uh, well, I mean, you're you're doing a lot better than most Americans because your wife has been saving in a 401k since she was somewhere in her 30s, right? Right. I mean, most American couples with all the commitments you have with raising kids, you mentioned student loans, uh, the mortgage, all that, most couples don't even put the first penny aside till they're somewhere in their 40s. So um, I would say that you should not be upset with yourself at all, but it does mean that when you go back into the workforce in uh, two to three years, you need to immediately start participating in the 401k available to you if there is one at the place you go to work to the max in that 401k plan because you've gotten used to living on one income all these years so the money you bring in is going to be a significant boost to check so maxing out that 401k year after year after year is how you're going to catch up okay is is there anything we can do in the meantime? Um, my wife has recently got a, a little bit of a bump in pay, and we've paid off some older debts, and so we have a little better cash flow than we used to. Um, we don't really have huge debts now other than the mortgage, and uh, her student loans are st- 
Oh, oh, they're a burden, particularly when you have two kids that yeah. may both go to college. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's no we have fun one at all. entering college next fall, and the other one is thirteen, so she'll be not too far behind. So, how much in student loan debt still hangs out? Uh, around fifty thousand. All right, then that's where I'd put the emphasis because that's okay. carrying a decently high interest rate, and I would take that bump up and pay and put it right towards that student loan debt. Okay. Because that, when you that, go back to work full-time, it's going to create an income stream you've not had, but you're also going to have expenses first with your older one in college, and then for whatever help you do for both the, that child and the younger one for college, you're going to have that as well. But your big play is going to be if you go to work at a place with that 401k, you need to be single-minded about from that first paycheck, just stashing as much as you can, hopefully to the max, and that's how you're going to cheat the clock and build up money for your financial security for the two of you later in life. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So I need to tell you there is a hot scam going on in the country right now and a warning from the IRS about it, a a very clear write-up by syndicated financial writer Michelle Singletary. What's going on is people are getting fake text messages that are coming from crooks pretending that the feds owe you money as part of the coronavirus relief acts and what people refer to as the care act and so people are getting a notice and these vary in the wording but they they pretty much try to get you to click from your cell phone to a get my payment button now what's so ugly about this is the IRS has been very, very uh, aggressive trying to get the somewhere around 9 million people who still haven't received their stimulus money from back in the spring to get people to notify the IRS and get their payment. And so the IRS at irs.gov, if you're someone who is eligible for the 1200 bucks or uh, married couples 2400 and you get, didn't get it the irs has this simple tool right on the home page of irs.gov where you uh, fill out a form takes just a little bit of time and creates a receiving portal for you to get your legitimate money from the legitimate irs website well, what the crooks are doing with these text messages is they have these fake websites that when you click in the text mimic 
almost identically, or really they are looking identical, the IRS Get My Payment tool. You click on it, you give all kinds of personal information, and guess what you're giving up? Typically, you're giving up everything a crook needs to first steal any money you have in your account already, and second, they get enough information potentially to engage in full-blown identity theft. So any text message you get that says it's from the IRS or the U.S. Treasury, they are bogus, phony, baloney, do not at any time click on this link. The IRS knows everything about this scam, and you you can tell them, but they already know. And so do not fall for it. In addition, if you have not received your stimulus money, know that your time window is closing out for you to get that money. The time window is November 21st, so don't waste any time at all. If you have a friend or family member who's not received their money yet, go to irs.gov. Tell them to go to irs.gov. Very simple process to get into the queue to get the money you should have gotten months ago but still don't have. It's time for your questions for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns and... Joel, it's your turn. That's right. Yeah. Aaron in Missouri has a question. Says, I solicited quotes for a disability insurance policy from online insurance brokers. I checked the AM best ratings of the three companies that I received quotes from. Unfortunately, none of the insurance companies are rated A plus or A plus plus, as Clark suggests. One company was A minus, other two companies were rated just a regular A. The lowest quote was from the A minus company at $75 per month. The lowest quote for an A-rated company was $90 a month. So should I pay the extra 15 bucks a month for the slightly higher rating, or should I reshop with another agent in order to find an A-plus or better insurer? What a wonderful question. The uh, disability insurance market does not have a wide number of players in it with top drawer um, uh, financial strength ratings. But it's different than a life insurance policy that you're buying typically with a 20 to 30 year window where finding an A double plus rated insurer is ultra important. I'm really impressed by you checking out the health of an insurer. I would feel comfortable buying an A rated policy for disability insurance because you tend to own that in a shorter window than with a traditional life insurance policy. And paying the $15 extra a month versus what you'd pay for an A minus, if it were me, I'd pay, it's $180 a year, it's your money. I would pay the um, $180 more a year for a company that has more financial strength. Kim? Mark in North Carolina says, I've been putting monthly money into my son's 529 plan since the year he was born. He's now a sophomore in college. When do I stop contributing? Wonderful question that doesn't have an automatic easy answer. So here are some of the things you look at. First, is there another younger child in your family that if you don't use all this money, you'll later be able to change the beneficiary designation to? 
Or second, what are the chances your son is going to go to graduate school or some kind of professional school? If the odds are higher, uh, high of either of those things happening, it's okay you're con- continuing to contribute. But if there's not a likely uh, family member to change the beneficiary to, if graduate or professional school is not a likely target for your son, then you're probably at a point that you can think about discontinuing contributions, particularly once you have enough money there to pay for junior and senior years, the portion that you're collecting the 529 money for. Once you've got that taken care of, I would say you stop contributing as long as those other factors don't apply. Joel? Clark Carey in Georgia says my TV is several years old and needs to be replaced. Should I buy one now or do you think prices are going to go down after the holidays? No, uh, TV prices never stop going down over time. But as far as timing, the sales that go on this year, particularly in the month of November, are extraordinary sale prices. There are always deals on TV, but not as good as they are right now. And we have up-to-the-minute guides to TV prices for you at ClarkDeals.com. And the prices that I'm seeing over the last week are the lowest I've ever seen on TVs size for size throughout the marketplace. All the deals, though, during November are on off-off-brand TVs, which is the only kind I ever buy. Kim? All right, Justin in Illinois says, what's the best strategy when you want to upgrade a cell phone? I have and tend to like newer iPhones, but it doesn't need to be the exact latest model. I feel like if I buy the model one or two years old and then use it for two years, it'll still have some decent trade-in value. Or is the best thing to do just to buy a used or older model and then just keep it until it doesn't work anymore? (laughs) So, with the iPhone market, my son, the Apple expert, says that if you don't need the 5G frequency, that looking particularly at an iPhone 11 is a really good deal right now. And he knows all things Apple. And this morning at breakfast was totally animated. It's like you had put a bug in his ear about who should buy a 12 and who should buy an older iPhone. With the 11, there are advantages in battery life. I'm just parroting what my son says because I don't have Apple. Uh, There are improvements with the battery life in the 11 that make it a good purchase. The big advantage, though, to the 12, the 11 used or new, the big advantage to the 12 is the 5G that is kind of hit or miss right now, but by uh, well into 21 is going to be a very important differentiator with any cell phone having 5G capability. Joel? Clark Thomas in Georgia says, I'm five years from potential retirement. I've got no debt, the house is paid off, no car payments, and I've saved money in both my company 401k and in personal Roth IRAs. How do I go about finding a financial advisor that I can trust? I'm looking for someone to manage my money through my retirement years and to help my wife if something happens to me, since I typically handle the money in our 40-year marriage. 
So how can I get good financial advice without paying too much and not getting ripped off either? This is an answer that has become a lot more complicated in the last three years. In the past, I've talked strictly in terms of getting financial advice through either the NAPFA website where you find a fee-only financial planner, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors.org, or I've talked about a Garrett Planning Network person where you hire someone who is a fiduciary, meaning that they are legally obligated to only do what's best for you, and you either pay, depending on who you hire, either an hourly rate or you pay them a percent of the money you have for managing it. What has complicated that of late is you now have from Vanguard, Schwab, and Fidelity, each have their version of hands-on financial planning advice that goes way beyond just picking funds. And the advantage with all three, they all three use different models, is the cost of hiring someone through them is a lot cheaper than it is you hiring a third-party independent. What I recommend is that you interview people who are third-party independents, either through Garrett or NAPFA, and compare it to what you'd have available at lower cost from Schwab, Fidelity, and Vanguard. That would be a current financial plan and ongoing financial planning advice and management. Kim? Michael in Virginia says, Clark, what do you think of the Chrome extension called Capital One Shopping, formerly known as Wikibuy? It claims to be a free tool that makes it effortless for consumers to save by automatically finding lower prices, coupons, rewards, and other help when you shop online. I hesitated to install it for privacy and security reasons, but I'm curious about what you think. I love the Chrome extensions for shopping. There are many available. I use one called Honey, but everybody's got their favorites. I find that a lot of times when I use the extensions that I don't necessarily find a better deal, but then occasionally I will find a better deal. And there are a number of these kind of tools available, both as Chrome extensions or as things you just use. A lot of people who are Amazon-oriented, use Camel, Camel, Camel. Um, Any of these tools that you find are comfortable for you and easy for you to use are what you should use. As for the privacy aspect, I don't know if there's a serious issue with privacy with these various functional extensions. Carrie is with us on the Clark Howard Show, and Carrie... You've been in a position where you feel like your money's just going down a rat hole paying rent, and you want to talk about whether home ownership's the right picture for you. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, yes, me and my wife, we're in our mid-50s. Um, our income is about 50000 a year, plus you know delivery service every once in a while. We try to just kind of do that as an extra, a little extra income. Um, our savings, we only have about 15,000 right now, but my, uh, my credit scores are running from, you know, from experience from like 680 to 740 right now rents about a thousand dollars a month. Um, so we're just, we, we haven't even been a first, uh, time home buyer. 
So we were just trying to figure out, would it be better to buy a house outside of Austin or just to continue to rent and, you know, anticipating that yearly rent increase? Well, so let's talk through the picture here. So okay. Austin, you said Austin or Boston? Austin. Austin, Texas. Yeah. And Austin, how do you Texas, decide basically. between going to In-N-Out Burger or Whataburger? <laughs> I guess it's dependent upon price. Okay. So uh, so when when you think about the money you're paying in rent, the 1000 a month, is Austin mm-hmm. where you want to be? as your final place that you're going to stay in Austin? Like, if you buy a home, is that where you'd want to be 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now? Yeah, I mean, that would be fine. I mean, it would be outside of Austin. There's smaller towns that are pretty nice, and they're not as expensive. So Right, but I mean, I mean in the Austin metro area, that's what you'd like. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great for you to buy a home can you if you go into the suburbs of austin can you effectively buy a home that would be somewhere around what you're paying right now in rent for an apartment it may be a little bit more so okay. i would yeah you got to be careful with that because you know property taxes in texas are pretty high mm-hmm. and you're then going to be responsible for maintenance and repairs on the home and so you you don't have a big cushion of savings i would really get out there and and get out on the weekends and look at homes look at communities and see if there's something you can get that would not put you into a bind budget wise okay i really need you to see if you can find something that effectively your monthly payment would be in the same vicinity as your rent. All right. Because if you sense. if you had to start stretching from you know on your income you had to start stretching to let's say thirteen or fourteen hundred a month for a mortgage, mm-hmm. that's gonna put you in a situation where everything in your life has to be perfect based on the income you have. Mm-hmm. And life isn't always perfect, is it? No, it's not. So, um, Carrie, I really want you to think about looking around to see if you can keep that payment in the kind of range where you are right now, and then you'll be in a position to look at buying. But yours is not one that I can say, yeah, go up in house payment 30 or 40% versus your rent, and you'll be okay. I'm worried you might not be. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.